Welcome to Saving Cities. I'm Diane LaRusso. In each episode, a member of our team hosts a conversation with an expert in a place-related field, from accessibility to zoning and everything in between. Today, I'm talking with my friend Ruby Lopez Harper, who sets her own headline as Mexican mother, wife, dancer, photographer, poet, and social justice warrior. She currently serves as Senior Director of Local Arts Advancement for Americans for the Arts, a national organization whose mission is to build recognition and support for the extraordinary and dynamic value of the arts, and to lead, serve, and advance the diverse networks of organizations and individuals who cultivate the arts in America. Ruby works with local leaders all over the country, representing cross-sections of business, nonprofits, and art sectors that are pursuing creative placemaking and offering arts enrichment for the benefit of their neighborhoods. Listen on to hear us weave through the whys of art, and then on to best practices, trends, and practical resources, including some that will help you pursue cultural equity in and through art. If you're interested in leveraging the power of art to transform your community, this conversation is for you. Uh, So, hi, I'm Ruby Lopez Harper, Senior Director of Local Arts Advancement with Americans for the Arts by Day. And in the uh, other waking hours that I have, I am a mother to three kids, a wife. My um, ancestors hail from uh, Michoacan, Mexico. And I've been a dancer my whole life. I've had a torrid love affair with photography and poetry. And uh, spend a lot of time doing theater. So it's just kind of a a mixed bag of nuts. I have a predominantly corporate background, but I've spent the last um, 13 years in nonprofit arts. So you're now with Americans for the Arts, and there's a lot Mm -hmm. going on. Um, Tell us a little bit about the organization and uh, some of its rather lofty goals and how you guys go about uh, doing (laughs) what you do. Yeah, so Americans for the Arts as a big giant uh, nonprofit is the leading service organization for arts and culture in the country. We have our two prominent arms are advocacy and federal policy, and the other is uh, programs and services that support uh, communities all over in making sure that uh, people in their community have the most access to the best arts that they can, uh, however that community defines it. So the role that I have is uh, supporting 4,500 local arts agencies. We do different affinity and functional uh, peer networks and uh, support a community of practice through that. So making sure that we're keeping up on trends, that we're at the leading edge of conversation, that we're keeping our fingers on the pulse of what's happening in terms of infrastructure. So right now in particular, it's a really pivotal place to be because we're hearing not only the effect to individuals uh, in the arts and culture sector, so your creative workers, your artists, uh, production staff, musicians, Mm-hmm. individual practitioners, but we're also hearing the impact to uh, organizations and then the supporting infrastructure. So local arts agencies, county arts agencies, state arts agencies, and how it's all, you know, we know that it's all integrated, but the way that it's um, rippling and the and the different places where interventions can take place um, to try to keep the, the impact as minimal as possible. But it's a, it's a pretty crazy time right now. <laughs> It sure is. <laughs> I mean, I, it's um, it's it's got to be incredibly frustrating. We both, I'm sure, are around a lot of folks that are uh, waiting for work to come back, and that's yeah. a scary moment. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the the sort of the practical stuff that you do, and talking about best practices and work on the ground. But start. Let's back up and kind of talk from the thirty thousand foot view, if you don't mind. Oh, not yeah, of course. <laughs> because, um, I mean, the organization, uh, from, from advocacy, from an advocate standpoint, you've been involved in this work, um, for a long time, long, 
before you were with your current in your current role, um, right? At current organization. Why is it so important? Talk. I mean, I know, and you know, and we've worked through this kind of work for a long time. But when we think about some of the folks in smaller organizations that are advocating for art in their communities, what are the words we can help provide to talk oh. about why? art so important beyond just, you know, the sort of the, we say culture is important. Yes. But that's so broad. What, like when it's you hard talk for people about to connect with that, how, right? Yeah, like how does it enrich our communities? Instinct. How, how come our communities oh, are stronger when we have creative work going on? Uh, in them? So that's basically my whole job um, is to, you know, help help individuals, organizations, and, um, you know, the infrastructure be able to communicate that. So, you know, it's a couple of different things The I call it the unsexy part of our work is when we have to talk numbers, right? So, you know, in, in one aspect, we can talk about the economic impact of arts and culture in communities. Uh, not only does it, it, it create, um, you know, uh, local business activation, but it's also the 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 drive market comes in. And so you get tourist dollars that support. And depending on how the arts are funded in that community, that generates additional dollars that then support the arts as well. Um, you know, it, it doesn't tend to really be the stuff that, that I like to talk about, but I'm not a decision maker. I'm not a elected official. And that really resonates with them when they can understand the more practical uh, impact and value of what arts and culture bring to the community. But I think for me, the underlying uh, underpinning, the foundation is that it is a way for people to come together it is known to break down barriers. So, you know, when you have a community divided, the arts can be a bridge. The arts can be a conduit. The arts can be a healer. And we've seen it. We've seen it in other situations, you know, uh, civil unrest. Uh, so one of the hats I wear is uh, disaster preparedness. And disaster in its broadest uh, definition includes civil unrest and uprisings, such as we've seen um, in response to the social injustice that has really come to light. Um, you know, it's such an odd thing to talk about because it, it's always existed. But now in this moment, we have nothing else to look at. So it, it's it's really been made bare. Yeah. And, you know, the arts really can bring communities back together. It can, you know, provide comfort. It can be, I mean, we've seen it even now, you know, I, I've been doing a lot of these kinds of talks and sharing information and, you know, everybody says, you know, what's the last thing that you want to leave us with? And I said, you know, I just want to say thank you to all the artists out there because they are literally the most generous of spirit that of people that I've encountered in every disaster situation, but specifically right now. And it's great because it's to their own detriment because the unsexy part of all of this is that, you know, the more that we give society, the more that it expects all of that to continue to be free. Mm -hmm. And when we're already having struggles, helping everyday folks understand why it's important and how the arts are intrinsic and the and the arts are DNA to us as humans. Um, you know, everybody giving it away right now on the interwebs just is going to, I think, really make it harder when this is over for people to say, well, wait a minute, I was getting it for free. Now I have to pay for it. I don't understand what that means. And it's like, well, you kind of always should have paid for it. But, you know, yeah. let's have that conversation. Um, so I've really encouraged individuals to, you know, be unapologetic about asking for a fee. And if, you know, they want to be generous to at least acknowledge that what they're bringing and what they're sharing has value and to ask for a for pay what you can ask for a fee. Don't ask for a donation. You're not charity. You're a business just like everybody else. You got to make a living. Right. It's okay. It's really okay. Um, and I think if we continue to rally, people will understand that, you know, oh my gosh, there was a great, a great offensive meme to me. I was so mad when I saw it <laughs> on Facebook um, that was like, when this is over, let's remember that Netflix and Amazon Prime and, you know, all of these like pay streaming services got us through these times. And I'm like, <laughs> can we also remember that everybody coughed up? 
significant dollars on a monthly subscription to make that happen. Like they didn't just give us access to that. We paid happily, happily, right. Absentmindedly, you know, 10 to $15 a month for each of those services. So let's remember that the arts and the artists that are getting us through it's it's the same. Like we should be paying them the same. I love that Patreon is taking off. I hope that it's. I haven't done a lot of research, but I really hope that the artists that are using it are getting what they can out of it. Because what a great way to get people to just like, oh yeah, mm-hmm. five bucks, ten bucks, twenty bucks. Yeah, yeah. It's it's fascinating, but I think it's it's still really hard because you know even for myself. Oh my gosh. I was probably in my 20s, you know, uh, when I realized that because I didn't start Eurocentric art until I was a sophomore in high school. And that's when I was like, oh, that's when I started the arts. And I'm like, no, no, jackass. You actually started uh, when you were a baby and going, you know, to hang out with your family. Your mother sang in the house. Everybody danced on Sundays at the barbecues. Like, right. Art was part of your, so much a part of your life, you didn't even realize it. And so how do we make people flip that switch that they realize that art's just part of everything that we do? Well, and it's coloring with your kids. So, so (laughs) much a part of the, like the day-to-day culture stuff that we just kind of ignore in modern American society. Like art has to be between two bookends as something classical and studied or modern and, or, you know, whatever the. Uh, genre is it's uh, if it's not defined as art, then um, we don't necessarily have that feeling of it ingrained in our our perception of what art is. So you're talking a lot about you know the individual artists and keeping them viable and up and running, but you know it's the performance venues too right now, right? Like live events and performance arts are um, typically more in the bucket of the institutions that we think of as arts, you know, when you think of the ballet or the symphony or places like that, but um, those are places that are struggling too now and also still trying to figure yeah. out how to, how to keep the lights on and how to keep um, providing the service that they do and the enrichment in our communities. Yeah. And it's just, you know, the, the arts were not built to withstand what's happening to us. You know, when you think about other other natural disasters, you know, engineering had has accommodated and adjusted for earthquakes and, you know, uh, you know, different different ways of land management can can help around wildfires. Like, you know, we think about these other disasters that we've been able to plan and engineer around, but you can't plan or engineer around what's happening right now, because even at best. Folks were like, you got to have three to six months in reserve as an organization or an individual. Okay, we've already blown past that. And when you blow past it with nothing coming in to replenish the reserves, everybody's going to hit zero eventually. And that's what's terrifying is that, you know, the the tough conversations that are going to have to happen around who gets to stay open and who doesn't, who Mm -hmm. gets to continue to practice and who doesn't. And... How, you know, now we're talking about, you know, how do we destigmatize closure and how do we facilitate transition and what does it look like? And, you know, how that's happened in the past, you know, when the recession hit in 2008, 2009, we saw a lot of closures as well. And I think that was a moment where, you know, we as a field, I don't think did as much as we, I think, can do now to help, you know, that, that bankruptcy is okay. And, and it just means, and this is what it's going to mean, you know, and what lessons do we take from organizations who uh, do a project, you know, they open for their project, they close for, they close and they wait for the next thing and they open and they close for the next thing. And the gold standard of everybody should have their own space and everybody should have these own things, I think are the things that are really going to make it hard mm-hmm. for organizations to get to the other side because there's overhead now that has to be managed that doesn't have anything to offset it. So the more that funders, you know, we have an imperfect system as it is. Right. 
Mm-hmm. But I think the more that funders relax their guidelines and work with the organizations that they support in order to make those fu- the funds that they provide uh, as accessible and as, as unrestricted as possible, it's going to be really key for organizations that have spaces and overhead um, to be able to apply those dollars towards. I think to continue just kind of project support funding is is really short-sighted because if you don't have an organization to back that project anymore, what are you going to do? Right, right. Understanding, understanding the need, like the appropriate application of overhead and allowing for what needs to happen to make sure that the support systems are there uh, or the show doesn't go on, like literally, right, right, you know, and I think at the end of the day, it'll be the organizations that have the the strong um, leadership and development staff who've developed the the kinds of relationships that they need to be able to go yep. to their funders yep. and say, "Hey, here's the real hard facts of the situation that we're in right now. Uh, this is the best possible strategy we've come up with to address the conditions mm-hmm. that we're dealing with, mm-hmm. um, to address the knowns and the unknowns." and well, as many of them uh, won't, won't you work with us, right? <laughs> but, well, as many of them right. as you can, right? Well, I and mean, that's been the thing. Yeah, like I've we've talked, you know, organized what what should we be doing? I'm like, okay, 10 years ago, you should have yeah, been establishing yeah. it's a little late really for that now. because if you didn't have those going in and you are not focusing and prioritizing the development of those right now, you're not gonna make it to the other side. And I also think that we are in a particularly advantageous moment where certain practices that I think have been uh, shied away from might actually be what get us to the other side. When you think about mutual aid, when you think about, um, you know, the, this is not a every man for himself moment. Right. This is definitely mm-hmm. going to be like, how do we all work together? How do we share space? How do we share resources? How do we uh, work, you know, collaborate? Because I think it's going to be in the new ways that we think about working together that we're going to find success because the old ways, they're gone and they've been gone. And I think the sooner that we all realize it and accept it, the better off we're going to be and the faster we're going to be to be responding to what will be our our next. It, not even normal. I think that's not going to happen for a while either. You know, this is our normal right now and look at how we've responded. So if we can do it, what, what else, what else is possible? So I think I'm also kind of one of those, um, uh, weirdos (laughs) that like, I know it's really doom and gloom right now, but I'm super excited about like what the possibilities are and, and the potential when, 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 you know, when a flood comes in and washes everything away, there's, there's nothing, there's nothing. So you get to do it all fresh and you get to do it all differently. And whatever was there that was holding you back is gone. So go for it. Why not? What's the worst that's going to happen right now? Right. Well, I think, you know, a lot of times uh, economic disaster, natural disaster is the platform upon which people uh, do amazing things because they had to come up with some other choice. Yeah. And and because there's nothing to lose. So why nothing to lose? So why why not? Yeah, I really think that, you know, now it's 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 so fascinating to watch um, how the field is shifting, even given the heightened focus on equity as well, because, you know, a lot of time, a lot of time has been spent reflecting and thinking and you know doing all the things. And now now you have no choice. Now you have to do the work. Now you have to, because if you don't there is real consequences to the other side, right? Like if you don't engage your whole community and whole community, not just from a racial perspective, but Mm -hmm. socioeconomic, uh, communities with disabilities, how are you activating into gender equality? Because that doesn't even, I mean, that exists in a really strange way right now. Um, And, um, you know, when when folks are thinking about working with a lesbian, uh, gay, bisexual, transsexual, you know, queer uh, community as well, like how, now is the time to be developing all of those relationships if you haven't done it before, because 
that is your whole community and that is who you should be engaging and activating <laughs> with. And if you're not doing that, you're not going to, you won't survive. There isn't enough uh, old money to go around anymore. Like it's, it's dire. So how, how do we, um, how do we call out, how do we call out those things? So I had a conversation just recently um, with a group talking about kindness and compassion and nonprofit organizations. And, you know, I think, I think a lot of people think about that as like service delivery, right? When you think nonprofit, maybe you think social service or whatever, and that that compassion is built into the service delivery side of things. But like, how do we support the people who are brave enough to point out Hey, we we don't have communities represented here, or we mm-hmm. aren't. We are imbalanced in our leadership, or our volunteer, or you know whatever body it is um, that's out of whack, so that those folks um, can help uh, become part of a solution based conversation um, rather than get ostracized because organizations don't yeah. like to change. No, they don't. And right now, you don't have any. You don't have any choice. What do we tell them? Listen listen, make space, listen, look around the table. Who's missing? That's, that was the first question I started asking when I started, you know, you, you start getting involved in a lot of conversations and, you know, things are happening and I look around and I'm like, this is fantastic. We're all sitting here thinking about what we need to do to help artists, but there ain't a single artist in this room. Doesn't that seem odd? (laughs) And I get it. Like, you know, things have to evolve, but at some point you got to get, You cannot, we can't do two communities anymore. We have to do with communities. And, you know, it's, it's just archaic thinking. And it isn't even like, you know, I, 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 I ebb and flow in, in equity language. A lot of times Um, I, I want people to be open to a conversation and in order to do that, sometimes maybe I don't come in as uh, bomb throwy as some of my friends do. Um, I have a wonderful colleague. She's so delightful. And we, um, we often joke about how we balance each other because she's more, she's way more of a bomb thrower. I'm kind of a mic dropper, but she's definitely a bomb thrower. <laughs> and, um, and she'll say something. And I'll be like, okay. And now how are we going to get that done? How are we going to have, what are the conversations that we have to have? You know, and she laughs. Um, But I will say that, you know, the hard things, and I think, you know, it's twofold. One, for me, it's been allowing myself to own the confidence and the agency that I have in the spaces that I move to speak up. It is a a hardwired kind of non-negotiable now. I was even telling my boss, I said, you know, there's, there's a lot to be said for the personal passion of people that, that do equity work, no matter what the circumstances, you can pick me up and drop me in any organization. And I'm going to do my work from an equity lens, regardless of what I'm, what my circumstances are around me. Um, And I think in that there have been, you know, there've been moments that I'm like, maybe I shouldn't have said, well, fuck it. (laughs) Maybe I should have. And that's what I did. And you know, if I get, then at least I was living my truth. I was speaking my, my honesty. I was, you know, and, and, and to be super clear about the things that matter to me and why they matter to me makes it a lot easier to step in and, and speak up. Um, And I think it has been infinitely helpful that I have leadership in my current organization that is supportive of that, that in the moments where I have questioned whether I should have, they've, um, said, nope, that was exactly, that's what I, we appreciate about you. Like, that's why we have you around. (laughs) Like we need, we need more folks to speak up and we need, we want that environment. And the only way that that environment's going to come is if we just do it. And I'm like, okay. Um, but I think when I, you know, when I talk to colleagues, um, especially individuals who identify, you know, as black or, uh, you know, Asian or, um, you know, Hispanic, Latinx, you know, anything that 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 is not the mainstream norm, um, you know, that we all struggle. We all struggle with. Um, feeling, feeling isolated because, you know, we're out there saying a lot of things and it's not, not, not everybody's always patting us on the back or, you know, saying, yeah, me too. 
Mm-hmm. So I think in a lot of cases, it's it's got to be twofold. One, we have to be confident enough to keep speaking up um, while giving ourselves permission to, 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 to you know, not always have to. Um, but our colleagues around us need to support as well by acknowledging um, when something is said. You know, Ruby, that's a really great point. It, that that's all it takes is is another person to give me enough strength to keep going another day sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and to do it out in in front of people. Um, I've been in situations where I've said something and then I'll get the text. Oh, that was such a good point. Don't no. Say that in the meeting. That's when I needed you to say that. Like, I know mm-hmm. I made a good point. <laughs> I wouldn't have said it. <laughs> no, I'm Help everybody else understand that I made a good point. Well, too. right. Like yeah. that. But even, you know, and I think that even comes a lot from, you know, being a woman in the workplace is that, you know, we don't as women generally support one another. And then you add the intersection of anything else to that. And I think it makes it even harder. So, you know, um, you know, black women being told that they're aggressive, like that's a thing. And if somebody says, I'd be like, nah, no, I don't think so. No, <laughs> because, you know, we, we have to deactivate some of that stereotype yeah. and bias, um, as well as reflect on our own actions and our own selves. I think as organizations, it's it's a time to also reflect on whose voices and whose narrative, um, you know, are, are you engaging with the community that exists around you. Um, you know, do you know enough about your community to even know who's missing, who's not Mm -hmm. here and, you know, engaging them in, in design development, you know, iteration can really, it, it just makes everything so much better. And sometimes it takes time. Sure. You have to build relationships. You have to build trust. Um, but you, you can't be like, Oh, but we did this, you know, uh, diverse production and how nobody wants to call well because it's not genuine and and communities of color especially know that so how how do you how do organizations um so let's just be real frank right a lot of uh community-based uh either economic development or um community development type organizations are run by white people so how do we um, how do we get those um, to it, those first steps made in ways that yeah. are, I mean, they're going to be uncomfortable on the front end if you've never worked with your Black community or your Hispanic community or as it should I mean, be. And, and so, how, <laughs> you know, how do we help them? What is, what's the advice we can provide or the path yeah. that we can provide that helps them take the first steps in an authentic um, and yeah. respectful way so that it is well received by the community that they're inviting to join to the table. Um, because I'm sure that mm-hmm. there's a lot of folks who whose intentions are good and um, they want to oh, find yeah. that path forward. But, um, you know, man, decades and decades and generations of thinking a certain way and this is new and uncomfortable for them and it mm-hmm. should be and that's okay. But how do you just, <laughs> how do you okay. take steps forward? Yeah. Yeah. I think the first thing is, um, you know, always asking the, always asking yourself. So I, you know, I, I do program development. I'm having even, you know, it's been just a hallmark. And I think the thing that I often start with and the thing that I counsel a lot of folks who come to me and say, oh, I want to start a local arts agency. Great, great, great. How's your community feel about that? Hmm? Because um, you know, and a lot of, or, well, what brought you to that particular, you know, what, 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 what around that? Oh, well, my favorite, um, someone thought that I would be good at it. And I was like, okay. And very well, may, yes, you know, uh, may I suggest that you consider holding a couple of forums with your community to find out what they need and find out what they want. And find out how they want it. And I can send you a few like, you know, lists of things that are like the general, you know, lists of things. But really, it's about activating conversation. You know, you can invite folks, but if you don't give them agency within the system that you're inviting them into, what's the point? If you don't respond and react to the feedback that you're getting, what's the point? 
So it also has to be done with intent that you're, you're, you're going to treat them as an equal partner in this, right? That, um, you know, anytime you say, well, we're going to go to this community and do this, you're already wrong. <laughs> you're already wrong. Uh, because it should be, we've worked with the community and we're going to deliver this, you know, in response to what they've asked for or in response to a gap that they identified. You know, a lot of times we come into this and we're like, we know best. And that's wrong, right? Like that's mm-hmm. high, that's, that's power dynamic. It's, it's hierarchical. It's patriarchal. It's all of the, you know, imbalances. And the only way to break that down is to do it different. So if you're going to go, I'm probably going to use strong words. If you're going to go charging in to go do something, before you do that, ask yourself, is this the way I always do it? Oh, okay, it is. Then yes, then let me slow down and try it a different way. So I find even just slow down, slow down um, is a great way to start. Um, And then, yeah, invite don't invite them to your office, go out into the community, meet people at the coffee shop, mm-hmm. um, you know, find out where people gather, talk to community leaders and not, and, and, and not like, I don't know, not, not, I guess not the normal ones. Like go and find people, um, you know, go and talk to the, a, a lot of times in communities of color, churches are going to be a hub of a place, go and talk and say, Hey, we have this idea Um, you know, what, what have you heard? Are there other things that we're not thinking about? Who else should we be talking to? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's, and it's always the, who else should we be talking to? Who else? I'm always asking that. So great to have this conversation. Who else should I be talking to? Or is there somebody else that, you know, because if I can break into the, the third circle and the fourth circle, then I'm really getting deep into the community, right? Because the first circle is easy. That's just who you know. And Mm -hmm. if we only go to who we know, we're never going to change things. Right. So go go past that. You got to get past that first circle. And that's where it's uncomfortable, right? Because you're moving in spaces that you're probably not used to moving in, which is already an indicator of things that you should be doing differently. Sure. Well, it sounds like an easy entry when you think about churches, because even if you don't necessarily know um, the congregation itself, as a if you're a community leader, an organization leader already, uh, reaching out and introducing yourself to a clergy or a leadership member of that church would be an easy first step in that capacity, Mm -hmm. you would think. Mm -hmm. Or even like a library, go talk to the principal Mm -hmm. at the school. Um, you know, there's lots of places if you think about where communities naturally gather and don't go in with, we're coming to do, ask, Mm -hmm. what does the community need? We might have some resources that we could bring to be helpful. It's not about what's the conversation going to do to benefit you. It's about what do you bring? How are you acting as a community partner? And what's the conversation sound like if you approach it like that? It's it's a whole <laughs> it's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. <laughs> it is, but I mean, you know, like it's all about listening, though. It really comes down to oh you know gosh. understanding the attitudes and the um, the needs or the perceptions of the people who are there. So, and, and that might be more than just residents too, right? That might be people who work in the area or own businesses mm-hmm. in the area and how all or that have been displaced from the area or that have been displaced. So um, that's an interesting topic as it pertains to arts. Cause a lot of times the artist communities are the, the first folks into an area that then they popularize beyond their capacity to stay there because of the the way that lots of development dynamics happen. So um, yeah. how do we, you know, yeah, how do we <laughs> well, nurture those creative hubs, right? How to, how to, keeping them authentic is a constant. Uh, I know sometimes I'm, oh, okay. So like, you know, <laughs> the one part of me is like, let's just keep developers out. You know, I mean, I don't think it's about <laughs> if, because, if, it, if it were up to the artists, I'm sure that they would do that. Right. But, you know. Because because it's when things get monetized on our on our behalf is when I think we're the ones that suffer for that. And the mon- again, 
they come in, they don't talk to anybody. They don't ask anybody what they want, what they need. They just do stuff. Oh my gosh. There was someone, I can't remember who was telling me that they went to visit a, a developer friend of theirs and the developer had this like model thing in the middle of their lobby and they were like what's this and it's like this is my plan for the city and he's like that's cool you talked to anybody have you talked to anybody about that <laughs> because they don't and i it's just a that, that's a whole other like fascinating <laughs> fascinating dynamic in that they that you know because it it moves from such a different um perspective and it moves with with significantly different resource loads um that there's a lot of that that like we're just going to come in and do this stuff and of course it's going to be good and it's like no but okay but you just knocked down a bunch of houses now there's no like large family housing that's affordable you've got all of these like two-person single oh like hmm, okay what kind of when it comes to that feeds into the, for that. that stereotype we're trying to fight about the starving artist, right? It, you know, right. the whole point is these are folks who um, have talent and, and thoughtfulness and resources and, and they bring value to our culture and our society and um, they should charge money for that. <laughs> they should. But, you know, it's when, again, when, when things are monetized out of the hands of the people who are doing right. it, it's so exploitive. And then you can't get past it. Right. And, you know, I've, I've I've been pushing with a number of other folks in the field for years about like, how do we do this differently? Why do we propagate the 501c3 model? Like that just continues to suppress, you know, livability. Like there's all these things that end up happening. And I think the artists, individual artists are one of the ones that suffer for that because, you know, they they're driving around they're driving within this this nonprofit structure but really shouldn't they be for profit and if if they have to be for profit then they don't actually have access to the to the philanthropy that we tell them they need to have and then so and it, yeah it's such I, a complicated I, I start, mess my goodness i just start short circuiting i don't think like, we have if this makes any sense i don't think we have time to untangle that whole thing this <laughs> evening <laughs> maybe no. some other time oh my uh, word that's been like a five, <laughs> seven year conversation <laughs> well and it is and the thing is is i think that it's 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 just about um it's business finance right but we're not yeah. we don't we don't get those kinds of lessons in our in our public schooling, we're, you know, we're taught to read and write and we do math and we do science, but we don't necessarily know how to run a business or do our finances very well. Right. And, you know, at the end of the day, then you get this sort of misconception that being a nonprofit has some benefit for you when really what you should be doing is running your own business. And running a business. Well, you should still run your nonprofit. I mean, the non a nonprofit is still a business like that. Right, exactly. somebody well, was, yes. Someone was like, oh, well, you know. Uh, if you're going to set up your 501c3, uh, it's kind of like you're going to need, you know, like a business, you're going to need a business plan. And I'm yes, like, what do you mean yes, like you a business? Do. It is a business and it, it needs is. all these things like. <laughs> yeah, nope, you're, you're spot on. You're right. You're absolutely right. <laughs> but because it's nonprofit, everybody thinks that 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 means you can't, you, you, you like, there's no, like, there's no growth opportunity. Like there's so many things. Oh, just a lot. I just can't. <laughs> all right. So, so let's talk about, you get to travel all over the place and talk to, you did before, I suppose, before you. In the um, before times. Yeah. Are you traveling at all now no. or just way, no. way less? We're work from home. We've been work yeah. from home since the middle of March. So are you still, um, I guess, performing yeah. on Zoom, your presentations and your yes. moderations of community conversations? And more. Yes. So tell me, tell me about like what it is you're doing in terms of service delivery. And then like, let's pick some examples of some really stellar innovations that if you're allowed to share some things that you've noticed that um, have really sort of turned you on in the way people are handling these challenging times, we've got to figure our way through. Yeah. Well, so we, like everyone else have uh, shifted from in-person to digital. I mean, we had, we have 
a uh, online learning platform called RTU, which mm-hmm. has been up and running for about five years and has been the primary uh, delivery system that we've used for all of our webinars and e-learning. Um, but we've kicked it into high gear. I was already kind of on a trajectory of trying to revitalize and reposition it as the place to go for education uh, in in the field. And so we were significantly increasing our delivery. So we were averaging nine to 12 webinars a month in all different functionalities. So let me interrupt you for a second. When you say in the field, what, who are the consumers of your content? Uh, So we say arts administrators. So pretty much anybody that works in an arts and culture organization of any type Mm -hmm. uh, would find a place in our digital learning platform. So we have arts marketing, we have you know, yeah, oh gosh, just right now we have all these things around COVID and, and reopening and uh, navigating finances. We just did a video primer for uh, federal programs. So the payroll protection program, the mm-hmm. um, uh, unemployment, you know, just navigating different systems. The business support for those mm-hmm. tools. Yeah. So there's just a lot of different things. You know, we have a classroom for marketing the arts. We have a classroom for supporting individual artists, for arts administrators who are, you know, just getting into the work. Um, And then we are working on one uh, for senior leadership in arts organizations, specifically local arts agencies, to navigate conversation and transition around increasing equitable policy. So like, there's just a lot. And, and, our, you know, our big ones are arts administrators inside local arts agencies. That tends to be kind of where we uh, zero in. But most of our content is is applicable to anybody working in the field. So, yeah. Um, so with all that, we have three major national in-person events a year. The National Arts Advocacy Summit that happens in um, the early part of the year takes folks, usually we get about I think like 500, 600. Mm -hmm. I'm not like as deeply involved with that one. Um, They come to DC. uh, We have a day and a half of training. We take, take everybody up on the Hill. They're organized by state. They meet with their elected officials. We give them a whole issue brief book where they can, you know, practice their talking points. And um, yeah, it's great. And then it's uh, complemented with the Nancy Hanks lecture, which is like a thousand people come and we have uh, a thought leader change maker do a speech. Last year, it was Rita Moreno uh, and uh, Justice Sotomayor did her introduction. It was wow. amazing. Um, and so that shifted and that shifted super quick. Like uh, next thing we knew, I mean, that was like middle of March and that one was due to, to fly in April. Sure. Uh, that one sounds more um, advocacy focused then. It's yes. teaching all advocacy the, the all the time. Attendees, the language that they need to go then talk yeah. to their senators and their Congress mm-hmm. people and the people in their local areas to. Yes, absolutely. And so they make appointments and and we help facilitate all of the movement. I mean, there's a lot that goes into it. Mm-hmm. And then um, in one afternoon, they do trainings on all of the issues that are inside the handbook. So you're getting more uh, kind of hands-on information about it. So did that just get canceled entirely or did no, that they to did a virtual a ship, format? They it pivoted went to online. a virtual format mm-hmm. and in, you know, blink and it was over and everybody was like, what just happened? Our big uh, event is in June. It's our annual convention. And this year we also had our public art and civic design conference with it. And that's usually a thousand people. Um, So that shifted from in-person to virtual. Mm -hmm. And we learned a lot. Uh, In December, we will host our National Arts Marketing Project Conference. And that's the one that I uh, lead as the uh, program lead. So I'm uh, responsible for organizing um, all of the content. Mm-hmm. And then I work with a group of folks in the office that have different aspects of, the, I mean, as you know, event planning. Sure. Um, and we've learned a lot. We're trying something really different with it, um, which I'm excited about rather than, and, and looking now instead of like these kind of cornerstone in-person activations, looking at the conference as a, one of a full 
portfolio of learning that we're driving. Um, so the conference this year, more than in the past years, is just a moment in, mm-hmm. in our entire year. We're going to also be doing, uh, we called them R2 intensives. So it's kind of taking like that pre-conference model and shifting it to a digital environment, which was pretty well received. Uh, we just piloted one in September around audience diversification. And it it's it went really well. So, you know, I think it's balancing stamina you know, everybody yeah. is on Zoom all the time now yeah. and appetite and resources. So, you know, we're slowly moving back into uh, pricing that mm-hmm. our, our normal pricing structures, um, you know, because it, we, we can't sustain um, offering everything for free. So we have a, a, a set of, of topics uh, that are still free. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we're starting a slow, gradual payback style, you know, pay style back into the mix sure. um, and trying to think like, you know, if somebody had to pay for this out of pocket, would it be affordable mm-hmm. and kind of using that as also a, yeah. a, a pulse checker? Um, because I think especially now, you know, people are being furloughed, people are going to start losing their jobs. And if they're looking at yeah. ways to continue their training, you know, it, it can't be $500 to come to a, a two day event. It, that's just going to be not possible anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I think at least um, for a while. Yeah. And for people who have been furloughed for uh, months now are, you know, anticipating you know, shoes dropping at the end of the year as things are still pretty uncertain in a lot of these sectors. So, yeah, um, you know, I, it's, I'm looking at the website right now and I see the hashtag, the arts create hope. Arts create hope. And I've been thinking a lot about how important it is for, um, you know, for all of us to take the time and um, appreciate you know, what, what these things bring to our communities on a local level. So are there some nifty projects that you've seen communities doing that you think particularly um, exemplify the idea that, you know, art brings us together and art creates hope? Uh, What are, what, what are some of the spectacular (sighs) examples of, of folks doing interesting (laughs) things? No pressure to no no dazzle. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. (laughs) Um, I'll say early out of the gate, the one that really caught my, so I, so everything's on Facebook, right? So um, a lot of the arts councils are on Facebook, artists are on Facebook. So I see a lot um, in my day-to-day movements on social media. And I think one of the ones that caught my eye really early on was a commissioning project that the Arts Council of Long Beach did uh, out of California. Uh, their executive director is Griselda Suarez, and she is just an amazing individual. And I loved how quickly they uh, mobilized to get work into, um, you know, to get work generated for artists and the way that they just kept highlighting local work and they just kept activating and they kept, you know, focusing. And I was like, it's, it's, it's almost distracting in a time that is, you know, like so dire. I love this. And I, you know, they, she was hosting watch parties and they were doing all this great stuff. And it just really made me so happy to see that, um, one, because I just loved that artists were getting paid, but two, I think when you, when you think about, you know, the state of things and how this has rolled out and how challenging it's been, um, to have something that was regularly coming up, just like kept my interest going and it gave me something to think about other than what was happening. Um, you know, as we've continued to move, I mean, folks that, um, have, started to go back into their spaces. Um, you know, uh, one thing I'll say, and uh, more of a local example, uh, of, I think, no, Red Herring, Red Herring Theater. Uh, I, they did, so when they were thinking about um, reopening, the thing that caught my eye was, uh, when you know, kind of going also back to our whole conversation about like, how do you involve community? They released their reopening plan with a survey 
and a promise to share the results with everyone that responded to the survey because they wanted to make sure that they weren't missing something, that people felt comfortable, that it was clear. Like it was just so well done, I mm-hmm. thought, in in how our space is thinking about the apprehension that people are going to be feeling as the re-entry process continues, right? Like yeah. there are there are your very cavalier folks that are out there having a great time at the bar. Um, I am not those folks. And so I need a little bit more handholding to get back into space. And the organizations that are doing that conversation, Irving Irving Art Center in Texas, uh, Todd Eric Hawkins is their executive director, and they put together a video of what you can expect when you come to visit the Art Center. And Mm -hmm. I was like, this is so fantastic in its simplicity. Um, and I loved it because it took me back to the days when we were having conversation in in Columbus, in Ohio, about uh, how do we welcome communities with autism? Mm-hmm. And one of the things that was suggested was, well, you do a video. You do a video to show people what to expect. And I was like, that's brilliant. Do you realize that if you embrace like more community than just that community, like it actually becomes a welcoming video for your entire, like, Mm -hmm. it's a game changer. It's a trust builder. Why aren't we, why isn't everybody doing this? Yeah. (laughs) Right. And so I love that. He's um, actually going to be writing a blog for us about the the thought process around it and and what it took to get it done. Um, Because I was so excited. Um, And I think it's just little things like that. It's, it's, the moments that organizations are taking to humanize what's happening uh, for themselves and for their community. Because I think it reminds us that we're all just trying to figure our way through it together, you know, and nobody likes to be told what to do. So I think when an organization's like, we know the right way, I'm like, (laughs) I'll be over here just waiting because I can't do that. But if an organization's like, look, it's some crazy shit going on right now. Here's how we're going to try to get through it together. I'm going to be like, okay. (laughs) I I don't know if I'm ready, but all right. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So, so yeah. So I think it's things like that, you know, that have really um, continued to, to catch my attention. Yeah, I would imagine that the things that organizations, especially the ones that are attached to a a particular space, um, have to communicate things that will help people feel comfortable and safe and know that they have a plan, uh, you know, to keep me safe, right? I want to know that that you have kind of a controlled environment and that people are following rules and um, and then I'm willing to go and, you know, see this performance or um, sit outside or, you know, um, I think some of the best things are that are happening now are like the drive-in concerts and the drive-in yeah. movies, you know, turning big empty parking lots into um, sort into of the old, old school. Yeah. I oh, yeah. It. Drive-in yeah. style. It's a way for people to start seeing stuff and watching performances and being out and about, um, but in a way that, you know, maintains some safety and um, allows folks who like us are a little more cautious. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with you. For for folks who are working in community development organizations or their local arts or creative. Yes. Oh gosh, please. Where do they, where do they have... find? Yeah. Tell yeah. us okay. what kind of resources they can find and where. Oh my gosh, thank you for asking because I completely forgot to mention. So on ArtsU, and it's um, artsu.americansforthearts.org. Uh, uh, so pretty easy to remember. And on there, we have a classroom, what's more of a like um, mini series, uh, if you will, on artists at the community development table. And so it's a learning program for local arts agencies that want to activate community development with artist engagement uh, within that structure and how to get that happening. So uh, we've got a lot of great resources related to that miniseries. Um, and I'm, we're just super excited. In the before times, it was augmented with uh, training specifically for local arts agency staff. And then we would... Uh, uh, go into 
local communities and deliver a training uh, for organizations and, um, you know, just people that were interested in getting involved to kind of open the conversation for folks. Uh, but now with, with the way things are, you know, we've, we've had that mini series already on deck and I think um, we're looking at more ways to leverage it in 2021. So I think it's just another great tool uh, for folks to be familiar with. And there's a really good guide um, artists in municipal working with municipalities that's also available on our website. Um, and then just as people continue to navigate the pandemic, we also have a coronavirus COVID-19 resource center on our website that has a lot of information about federal programs. It has information about local relief funding. It's all organized geographically. And then there's also a, an area that has research. So if you're having to do any advocacy or case making, you can have access to that information. There's a research dashboard. There are surveys you can fill out. Uh, to contribute your information to the greater story. Uh, and then we also have uh, in there uh, resources for both organizations and individuals. So uh, there's definitely something for everybody that is helpful. We've also got an equity and mental health section with resources as well, because, you know, we have been, as I'm sure you know, uh, you know, we've heard a lot of instances of anti-Asian uh, racism happen, you know, like there's just a lot going on in this moment. And so we've done what we can to try to aggregate resources and information to make it easy for folks to get to things. And do you have to be a member of the organization to be able to access these good resources? No. Isn't that amazing? That's fantastic. Um, so, yeah. So we do have some, you know, paywall uh, items. Uh, but for uh, information like that, it's just, it's it's intended, you know, we're field-wide uh, as well as member-based. So we do a lot of uh, support uh, systems and programs and services that are just open to the field at large. Um, you know, and even on our RTU, a lot, of, a lot of times we're adding now, you know, if you've been impacted by COVID-19, uh, you know, let us know. And, and we're offering discounts for folks that, you know, for our pay items that may not be able to afford the full price, mm -hmm. you know, so we're doing what we can also to balance uh, supporting the field with, you know, making sure that we keep our doors open too. <laughs> of course, of course. But, but if you're but yeah, uh, that resource center, nope, it's open to everybody. Great. So if you're either you could be an organization, but you could also be an artist who's looking to work with municipalities or you can be mm -hmm. a, a person, uh, just a, a community volunteer on a grassroots level looking for resources and inform in mm -hmm. information and and it'll be a, a great resource. So we'll make sure that we drop the links in the in the show notes so the pe people can That'd find be great. Those. You know, if people have questions, please email me. I'm happy. That is one of the most enjoyable bits of my job is to get to interact with individuals that are looking to support this work in their community. So if you can't find what you're looking for, just you know, shoot me an email and I'll make sure, you know, we can make sure that that's in there as well, that folks can, um, you know, reach out. And we're definitely about making sure that, uh, you know, people have what they need, especially right now in order to continue to either get through or to continue to grow within their communities. As you uh, think, as we think about wrapping up, do you have some sort of parting thoughts, uh, pieces of advice, and for um, folks that are thinking about how art can make a difference in their neighborhoods and their communities? Um, how do we keep them engaged while things are rough and leave them on something optimistic and hopeful on a high Oof. point? <laughs> <laughs> Got anything um, good to say? <laughs> yes. No. Always. Always. Of course. Um, uh, so I've been joking that I, I come to a lot of uh, my speaking engagements these days, and I'm definitely the angel of doom with the <laughs> statistics that I share and and the the very gray and bleak picture that I get to paint. Um, but I think what I want to well, first, what I want to say is for all of the artists and arts organizations that might be listening, just thank you. And I know that. This is just such a hard time and the generosity that everyone has been bringing to their communities around the country has just been inspiring and has been heartwarming. And I know that it may not always seem like it, but you are making a difference and it matters to people and it matters to people so much right now. And stop giving it away for free. 
start <laughs> start charging even a little bit if you can, uh, because the habits that we're forming now will guide what happens in, in three months, six months, and a year from now. And if they get used to give, getting it for free, they're going to expect it for free. So do what you can to charge as you feel you can and be unapologetic about it because you have value, the things that you do have value, you bring expertise and you bring uh, expression and creativity and imagination, all of those things. And and you should get paid for those things, um, organization and individuals alike. And I think, um, remember that we're not alone going through this. We are all in this moment together. And uh, I think to survive it, and to emerge from it, we're going to have to be able to stand shoulder to shoulder together, um, everyone making making their best way forward um, and bringing everybody with them. So just remember, we're not alone. You're not alone. Connect to other experts in the field or find education and inspiration at Americans for the Arts. Check out the show notes for links. That's all for today. Again, I'm Diane LaRusso, and thanks for listening. If you found this conversation to be worthy of your time, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode. Take care, and we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.